0: Welcome to Feeding Frenzy, a podcast brought to you by the Breastfeeding Resource Center. The BRC is a nonprofit organization in Abington, Pennsylvania. We're here to provide support on various parenting topics to help you get through the roller coaster ride of parenting. I'm your host, Colette Acker. Let's take this journey together. Today, we're talking about hyperemesis gravidarum. And this is a very rare condition during pregnancy. Symptoms include severe nausea, feeling faint or dizzy when standing, and it can also cause persistent vomiting, which can lead to dehydration. It typically resolves in a few months for most, but this condition can cause hospitalization and treatment with IV fluids, as well as anti-nausea medications. There are fewer than 200,000 cases per year in the US. Um, Today, we are lucky enough to have Julie Bach, one of our BRC regulars, I refer to her as, Um, and poor Julie has experienced this with both her pregnancies, and we've caught her on week five of pregnancy number three. So we're catching her right before this typically hits uh, maybe it won't this time. We, who knows? Fingers crossed. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Um, but thank you so much for joining us, Julie. Thanks for having me. So I'm sure you didn't expect this with your first pregnancy and you become pregnant. And I'm sure you're super excited and anticipating right, what for this reading is. reading all the books and yeah.
1: following all the pages, starting a registry right away, looking at all the stuff and then week five is when it hit with my first pregnancy.
0: Um,
1: so I went from eating salads and trying to be super aware of, um, my nutritional intake to just anything that could stay down. I was prioritizing that. Um, I couldn't lift my head off the couch and I felt nauseous, dizzy, all that stuff. And so were Um, you working at the time? Yeah, I was working at the time. So that was very difficult. And I was working about an hour away. um, So I live right near the BRC, which is why I'm a BRC regular. Um, And I was hiking it all the way out to right next to the old um, location in King of Prussia, actually. So everywhere I went, there would have been a BRC location. But by the time I had that baby, I no longer had a job.
0: You had to quit because of this.
1: I did. Yep. So, and that's very common with women with hyperemesis. I want to say it's somewhere around 60% of women with HG uh, are unable to work. Wow. Maybe even higher.
0: So describe a little bit the severity of it. So um, with my first pregnancy, I'd probably consider it moderate.
1: I don't, there might've been moments where it crossed into severe, but um, as with most hyperemesis patients, I was not treated properly for it Um, because there's this sort of um, stigma that pregnant women puke. It's just what we do. Um, So, but that's not actually true. Pregnant women don't need to puke an exorcist amount (laughs) and that's sort of the level I was at. Um, So I would consider it moderate hyperemesis. Um, So I needed IV fluids. um, I needed medications. I had a whole cocktail that took forever to figure out of which medications would work best um the i I lost nearly 10 percent of my body weight that first pregnancy
0: wow before
1: we we figured out which medications work best and how to get them paid for um because juggling insurance with this kind of um under-researched disease isn't exactly easy i'm still currently being denied my medications for this pregnancy even though i have a documented history
0: of it working
1: for previous pregnancies so
0: and are there (laughs) you know You talked about people not knowing or not, you know, handling the situation correctly um, or effectively. Is that commonplace that physicians may not know?
1: Yes. So I'm in an online support group for women who have had hyperemesis, which if anybody listening thinks that they may have it, I highly recommend getting into some sort of support group for it. Um, The HER Foundation is an excellent resource. That's H-E-R Foundation. Um, So and it's probably at least weekly, if not daily, there's somebody, you know, saying my doctor doesn't believe me. Um, my doctor isn't helpful. They're not willing to prescribe medications, especially early on, which is when it's the most effective, right? It's easier to, um, you know, stay at a, at a nice even level than it is to climb out of a hole. Um, so unfortunately a lot of physicians will let it get to the point of no return before they try to do something about it. But Once you've crossed that point, it takes a lot more.
0: Well, I wonder if that's also the not believing women.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, Amy Schumer jokes about that all the time. She's probably one of the most notable women who has had hyperemesis. She's definitely the most real about it. Um, and even then there's, there's lines that people don't cross. (laughs) Even Amy Schumer hasn't been totally forthcoming about some of the more nitty gritty aspects of hyperemesis. Um, And, you know, then we have Kate Middleton, who she's a princess. So, you know, I love to think of myself as a princess when I'm pregnant,
0: but I certainly don't look or feel like one. (laughs) Right. And so you're vomiting throughout the day. Oh, yeah. This isn't morning sickness where we may feel very nauseated, can't eat, may vomit. But then the rest of the day we're feeling kind of okay.
1: Right. So about 80 percent of women have some sort of nausea and vomiting during pregnancy so it is common which i guess is why a lot of physicians might write it off or you know your mom might say oh yeah i had that too your cousin you get a lot of comments like that but you know hg is to morning sickness as a typhoon is to a light rain it's a very different level of nausea and vomiting um so it's i liken it to having food poisoning but 24 7 while you're supposed to be growing this precious new life and everyone's saying congratulations. (laughs) Right. And that's the thing, like
0: for some people, it ends after the first three months, similarly to morning sickness. So how about with you? How long do you have to endure this? So again, it's a little bit different for hyperemesis compared to
1: morning sickness. Hyperemesis typically resolves for most women around 20 weeks, about halfway through the pregnancy. Um, And then for the lucky few, we get it the whole time. So I've had it for the duration of the pregnancy for both of my two previous pregnancies.
0: And so what do you do with your first child while you're vomiting and can't lift your head off a pillow?
1: Screen time, which I know is
0: not uh, the right answer for some people. Gotta do what Um, you gotta do, right?
1: You do what you gotta do. Um, Keeping snacks available so that they can sort of feed themselves because smelling food, even being in a kitchen, can be such a horrific trigger. It's really hard when they're potty training, too, um, as you can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) So it's very difficult when you already have children. So how old are your kids now? My oldest is about to turn five in a month, and my youngest
0: is a year and a half. Okay, so these two kids are not self-sufficient. No, definitely not. They are going to need you. Um, Yes, and And my village. (laughs) Yes. And so, you know, are you preparing for that? Have you called in friends and family to help you out?
1: Oh, yeah. So unlike the typical um, moms who wait until 12 weeks to announce, I generally tell you know, at least the inner circle right away so that it's all hands on deck, especially during some of the harder moments of hyperemesis, which is typically the worst from around 10 to 14 to 16 weeks. Oh, interesting. Um, so, you know, it's, it's right around that time where people haven't told folks yet. Um, so I, I do, I call in the reinforcements right away. I'm also very lucky that I have such a great network of, of supporters. I've got The kids grandparents, my husband's on board, um, we live in an affluent area, all of those wonderful things that really increase the likelihood that I will have a successful pregnancy despite this. But most women do not have these resources, do not have the health insurance and opportunities that I have being in the Philly area. So I try to use my voice to speak out um, about how hard this can really be. I have a cleaning service that cleans my house for me. Even though I'm a stay-at-home mom, I have people that will cook for me. You know, like you think of what a stay-at-home mom does, cleaning and cooking are generally the two main components. Uh, right. <laughs> Not and vomiting takes that away. Yeah. So. And it's hard. so,
0: maybe this is a little too personal, but did you discuss having another child with oh, your yeah. village of support? Would you be willing to help me if I do this again? Yeah
1: yep definitely so it it was it was a known thing um so we had we had the whole crew on board you know we don't we don't get into the nitty-gritty with them about when or that kind of stuff but they generally had an idea you know that there was there was somebody else coming they were going to be added to the crew at some point that i was going to need help getting to that finish line
0: yeah and i'm sure it was a sit down conversation with your husband
1: oh yeah oh yeah so he's um He's excited for a third child. He's not excited for a third pregnancy. Neither am I to be completely honest. It's hard. Um, but we do, again, we both rely on that network of support because it's hard on the husband too, because he becomes a caretaker to me and I'm typically the caretaker to the family. Um, so it does shift the dynamic for those nine months just a little bit. Um, but we have, We have therapists. We each see our own. We have a therapist that we meet with together. Um, So it's we have such a good support to be able to do this that I totally acknowledge most people do not have.
0: Right. And it's still super hard with all of that. Very,
1: very hard. I'm not even going to lie. I've cried several times. Even though this was exciting news, it's overwhelming to say the least.
0: So i've I've read that it could be hereditary. Do you know someone else? So I have I've read that as well. you're You're much more likely to have it if your sister has had
1: it, your mother has had it. Um, no, I do not know anyone else in my family who has had it. So I'm one of the lucky few. If you wanna <laughs> <laughs> call it that. Um, and that's some of the research is really in its infancy. So um, you know, Amy Schumer jokes that they haven't really studied this yet because it only happens to women. <laughs> um but we, yeah, we know all about are,
0: that in the breastfeeding world too
1: <laughs> right right exactly so um they used to think that it was from our hormones the hcg that shows up on a pregnancy test Correct. um so that, that's still a widely held belief amongst physicians but it's um recent research as in between my first and second pregnancy that recent um has shown that it's ac- hyperemesis specifically comes from um something called gdf-15 which is um, a different uh, hormone entirely than oh, HCG.
0: Okay. And so um, I was reading that some people don't have it for all of their pregnancies. Right. So there's, there's a lucky few that I'm not part of, or hopefully I'm part of
1: this time. Um, it, it is 85% likely to reoccur in subsequent pregnancies. So it's, it's, if you have it for the first one, you're definitely better off. Um, preparing and prepping to have it again, if you're hoping for more children. Um, so I'd highly recommend anybody go through it, create that network of support wherever possible.
0: Right. And that must have been just crazy with your first child when you don't expect it. Yes. and you're I was scrambling,
1: absolutely scrambling. So, you know, now I have some of the resources to know how to navigate the insurance and get on the right medication. And that's just baseline care. Right. And I have a provider who believes me. I did have to switch doctors between the two pregnancies. Um, the first one did not believe me. I told her that the only thing that I could keep down one week and I was like 10 weeks along was um, uh, sour patch kids. That's all I could keep down everything else I threw up and they're super sugary. That's not healthy. <laughs> right. Although I do love to enjoy some sugar every now and again, um And she, her response was, oh, my son loves those.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And I'm like, that's, I'm coming to you for medical help, you know, yeah. I'm not making casual conversation,
0: so. And so you ex- you must experience weight loss during your pregnancies.
1: Right. So with my first, I lost 10% of my body weight. Yeah. And then with my second, I did not lose as much, it was just over 5%. Um, And I I attribute a lot of that to having gotten on the right medications early um, and having very proactive doctors um, and support systems that were already in place. People already believed me going into that second pregnancy, that this could get bad.
0: (laughs) And did you ever have to be hospitalized?
1: Yes. So four times with my first pregnancy, although it definitely should have been more. um, I, I was hesitant to go in with my first pregnancy because on my insurance card it said, um, that I was responsible for a $100 copay for every time I went in and I just didn't want to pay the money. And I realized that sounds silly now, but $100, it. it was a lot of money, you know? So um, yeah, now I would not be as hesitant and, and in, a, in a cruel twist of fate, I never was charged that $100 any of the oh. four times that I went. So I should have absolutely gone more. It was not worth the risk of losing my baby. Um, right. which is also sadly very common
0: with hyperemesis. Right, that's what I was going to ask. But so when if before that when you go into the hospital is it just IV fluids or what else can they do for you?
1: So they can actually do a lot and and um, again, more recent research has shown all sorts of different ways to get what we need into our bodies. Um so again, there's this prevailing Idea that the baby will take what they need from the mother. And when it comes to hyperemesis, that's not necessarily true. Um, so, hyperemesis is actually the leading cause of hospitalizations in the first trimester of pregnancy. And generally, what they'll do is give you an IV, maybe give you some Zofran, maybe some Reglin, all stuff that people have heard of for, you know, maybe if you went out drinking um, and had a really rough night, they'll, they'll hydrate you with that kind of stuff and give you some nice nausea medications. <laughs> um, but it's actually easier for an alcoholic to get these than it is for a pregnant person.
0: Oh my God. So, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. Cause they
1: don't, they don't study this stuff in pregnant women. So they're hesitant. They don't want to cause damage to the baby. The good news is taking these medications, uh, the risks, um, the benefits far outweigh the risks. Right. So, um, you know, taking the Zofran even before 10 weeks is fine for your baby. It's, it's Definitely not as high of a risk as prolonged malnutrition, prolonged dehydration, um, and obviously severe weight loss.
0: Yeah. So, and so the meds were worth. Are there certain foods that were better for you, or I'm sure that's got to be individual. thing th- the things that you yeah. are your go to foods during this time period
1: yep so it it changes over time even within each pregnancy so um early on I was sort of living on rice for my first pregnancy that didn't last very long at all that changed before even my first hospitalization um you know so it's it's really different every week to week even um, I remember that um, English muffins worked well for a little while and then they stopped working and I didn't know what to do so I'm like oh That was all I was eating, literally. Two English muffins, well, like two halves of an English muffin was what I could eat a day for a little while. Wow. It would take me about two hours to eat a whole English muffin because you have to really eat slowly to make sure that it stays down. Because if you sort of gobble it down like you would in a normal meal, it's coming right back up.
0: Wow. And (laughs) that sounds, it just sounds horrible. And so we touched on this a little bit. What are some of the, are there concerns for the baby or even like a long-term concerns once they're born? Yes.
1: So typical pregnancies, we usually see um, sadly that one in four don't make it to term, but with hyperemesis moms, it's actually one in three don't make it to term. Um, And that's for a variety of reasons, both uh, medical and obviously therapeutic terminations are more common for women with hyperemesis. Okay. and so even after birth, we still see some effects on the babies. Um, so for, for breastfeeding, it can go one of two ways. Either it can be an incredibly healing experience to breastfeed your child, or it can be incredibly triggering for moms to breastfeed. Um, so it, it could go either way. Both are valid. Both are very common. Um, and then for developmental issues and physical ailments, um, the, the risks of those increase for babies with HD.
0: Wow. Um, and you're going to wear your daughter, right? When <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make sure she knows about this, the possibility. So um, you talked about the resources, the support groups. Are they online?
1: Yes. Um, so the Her Foundation has a wonderful support group um, that meets via Zoom monthly on the third Thursday of every month. They also have an online Facebook group that you can post in any time. About anything. Um, and then they've got um, an app uh, that will help you sort of calculate your risk of malnutrition and dehydration. Oh. Um, it, it, it's very common for women with hyperemesis to second guess should I go to the hospital? Do I need medical treatment? Because when your doctor tells you you're fine, you want to believe them. Right. Right. No one wants to feel sick or feel like a burden or anything like that. So, um it's the the uh hg care app is the name of it so people could search that um and it'll give you what's called a help score and it helps you identify where you are on a list of severity um, and give you advice for what you might want to try next
0: that's great
1: yes and that's a newer feature from the her foundation as well i think that came out around
0: my second pregnancy Yeah, that's really wonderful because we do. We second guess ourselves, even like, am I in labor? I don't want to bother them, you know. (laughs) Right. I'm like, would you
1: rather them think you're silly or would you rather accidentally have a baby in your bathroom? Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, It's just, we do it to ourselves in many areas of life, but I can imagine this too. Um, And I just feel so horrible that your physician, your first one didn't pay attention to you um but I'm glad the second one did and like I'm sure the her foundation is probably working on that also absolutely so they go around to all the conferences Um, they have
1: packets that you can actually bring to your doctor's office if you think that you have hyperemesis or even just if you want to inform your doctor about it anyway Um, so the the packets um they'll provide that to any physician. Um, some of them I think you have to pay for um, because they are not funded through any government source. They are all individual donations. So, um, but they, they do whatever they can to get the word out there. They'll do Instagram lives, LinkedIn lives. They try to link up with physicians and hyperemesis moms. Um, so they do a fantastic job of outreach, but it's still very difficult when most of the population has never heard of this unless they've experienced
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know I never heard of it until I started working in a hospital. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, any any other resources you have for families who may have this? So um, Pregnancy Sickness
1: Support, they're based out of the UK and they also do a fantastic job. They tend to focus more on legislation surrounding hyperemesis and ensuring access to care um, for countries that have different forms of healthcare care than we do. Um, so if anyone's listening from outside of the U.S., they might be a better resource, um, although the Her Foundation is all over the world. So wherever you are, you should be able to access them and their resources as well.
0: Yeah, the insurance game is a little frustrating. So um, certain medications, they're denying you, or, they're, or they they you'll have to pay out of pocket if they deny you? Right.
1: When it's right. prescribed
0: yeah. by your physician for a disease? Yes.
1: So um, they've tried to prescribe, it's this very baseline um, medication that most people have heard of. It's called Diclegis, and it's a combination of Unisom and B6 vitamins, which is um, sort of as they say, it's it's considered safe during pregnancy and breastfeeding, um, but it's not necessarily the most effective at managing nausea and vomiting, but they always want you to start with that before they'll prescribe Zofran or Reglin um, or any of the more... Um, more risky, if you want to even call them that. They're not even that risky. Uh, there's a slight increased risk of cleft palate or um, Zofran use, but even that isn't super well studied. And some studies say that it's not really there. And other studies say it's a very slight increased risk.
0: Wow. It's so frustrating. And I, I'm assuming you- the other medication is cheaper <laughs> Well, (laughs) not
1: necessarily. So Diclegis. if you were to use the app GoodRx.com, which if anyone is struggling with insurance, I highly recommend GoodRx.com to see um, if that can get you a discount on anything that you need. Um, So if you use GoodRx for Diclegis, it's about $100 for a month's supply. Um, Using GoodRx, depending on the store for Zofran, can get it down from $600 for a month's supply out of pocket all the way down to like 20-ish. Really? I know where you are. Yeah. So, so having some sort of other option makes all the difference. When my husband first heard six hundred dollars for my Zofran prescription that was denied by insurance, um, at first he uh, had a cow and called me and he was like, "I'm leaving CVS. I, I can't. We can't do that." I'm like, I, "Relax. Here's the link to GoodRx. Here's the coupon code you need to give them." I had forgotten to give it to him, even though it was my second pregnancy. <laughs>
0: You had a lot on your mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, $600 a month plus $100 a month for the other one?
1: Yep. And and those are some of the most common ones, but there are quite a few. Some people take um, Phenogen. Some people take different um, antihistamines in combination with these. So generally, a woman with hyperemesis is not just on one anti-nausea medication that fixes all most of us find that there's some sort of magic combination and nobody knows what it is or how to get it or any of that you just sort of stumble across it one day
0: wow that's frustrating so we need a lot more research on this
1: we do but again that wonderful her foundation is working on it so on their website they have a list of all the medications what the risks are what their uses are, what type of medication it is, what class um, A, B, C of medication it would be in terms of how safe it is during pregnancy and also how effective it might be at managing nausea and vomiting, and what center it targets.
0: Oh, that's great because, you know, to hand them one resource is just lovely um, for the patient to have, you know, easy access to a whole bunch of stuff right in one spot Uh, makes Mm -hmm. a huge difference and helps them to advocate for themselves which is unfortunately what we have to do Um, you know and you're like well there's only 200,000 people a year who have this we can't spend all this money studying this you know Um, but yeah something needs to be done it sounds horrible so you you're awaiting the day
1: I'm awaiting the day so the countdown is on i'm somewhere around five weeks pregnant that's when it hit for my first um with with the early treatment with my second it was closer to eight weeks that it really ramped up to the full capacity (laughs) that it could get to for me and it did calm down faster in my second pregnancy even though i could feel it the entire time i was much more functional i was actually able to keep my job throughout my second pregnancy And um, I was able to work from home. So that made all the difference too. So being able to advocate for myself, telling my employers early on, once again, which I know most people would not want to do, but in in the case of hyperemesis, having HR know what your limitations are, submitting that paperwork for um, accommodations through the ADA made that huge difference in being able to to keep going and it took so much of the burden off of me to sort of keep that secret from my coworkers who were like,
0: why is she sick all the time? Why is she taking so many sick days? Yeah. And so could you have gotten some type of disability with your first job? I, I could
1: and I actually did. Um, so they, they didn't show me the door. They were wonderful um, in, in how they handled it but because it was again, so late, you know and I hid it for so long I tried to to struggle through it for so long, and that job required about an hour driving each way. Um, And that's incredibly triggering. I cannot drive when I'm pregnant and suffering from hyperemesis. It's just not a good mix. Um, So imagine motion sickness and being in a vehicle. Doesn't end well.
0: Yeah, that sounds horrible. I mean, just being nauseous and vomiting for the flu. I can't imagine having that feeling for months and months and months. Well, so have you started your cocktail of medications already? I sure have. So um, Diclegis, like I said, is a mix of
1: Unisom and B6. Those are available over the counter. So I started those right away while I wait for that timed release mix of Diclegis. Um, So hopefully my insurance company approves that soon. Um, and I you can get pepsid over the counter as well. So that's more for the heartburn that comes with it.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is one of my first symptoms of pregnancy. I generally know before a test even tells me I'm pregnant, I'm like, wow, this heartburn's pretty crazy. I bet we're having a baby in nine months. <sighs> and the first time I said that with my first pregnancy, my husband, who's a nurse by the way, Thought that I was crazy. He's like, You just want to be pregnant so bad. I'm like, I do. But I was. <laughs> and then with my second, I'm like, Oh man, that heartburn's back. And he's like, Do you think you're pregnant? I'm like, Uh huh.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Well, I thank you for sharing your story. And um, I thank you for all the resources. And we'll definitely get those on the BRC website and I'll have them in the blurb for this podcast. Do you have any final words for us? Yes, um, so there's actually a talk
1: coming up through a professor from Drexel who is doing a breastfeeding after HD pregnancy. Um, she's an IBCLC and she's gonna be talking about that on August 13th, if you would like to check that out. I'm sure it'll be recorded. Yeah, I would love to, I'll go. So I'll send that to you. Um, and then, yeah, if, if any, anybody in our circle has hyperemesis and would like someone to connect with, they can reach out to me anytime on Facebook, Instagram, any of that.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and fingers crossed that this will be less severe or non-existent is my true hope. And good luck. Yes. Good luck on the rest of the pregnancy.
1: Thank you so much. I'll see you with a new baby in a few months for breastfeeding.
0: We'll be looking forward to that. Thanks for listening to The Feeding Frenzy. The BRC is a nonprofit organization committed to providing expert clinical and educational breastfeeding services. Find out more about us at breastfeedingresourcecenter.org.